to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to Rolf R. Nolasco Jr. about his book, Hearts Ablaze, Parables for the Queer Soul. The conversation I had with Rolf was truly incredible. This book allows one to view 10 classic Christian parables with a new lens and perspective than you've probably ever been taught before. We get into some basics about the book, um, and then we get into a sort of larger conversation around spirituality and uh, perhaps uh, a tentative path forward for for all those either in the LGBTQ plus community, the religious community, a combination of the two. Um, I think you're definitely going to enjoy it. Uh, I want to let you know about Rolf. So Rolf is a Reuben P. Job professor of spiritual formation and pastoral theology at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. As a queer person of color whose country of origin is in the Philippines, Rolf works at the intersection of critical and liberate liberative psychology, theology, spirituality, and effective neuroscience to address the complexity of the human condition and the potential for human flourishing. He is also the author of The Contemplative Counselor, A Way of Being, Compassionate Presence, A Radical Response to Human Sufferings, and God's Beloved Queer. Uh, Like I said, Rolf is fantastic. You're definitely going to enjoy this, and we will get to the episode, but I do want to let you know, first, today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on nostalgia overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours, but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. And by Self Unbound, your quality of life, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, is a direct reflection of the level of abundant energy, ease, and connection your nervous system has to experience your life. At Self Unbound, your nervous system takes center stage as we help unbind your limited healing potential through network spinal care. Access the first steps to your Unbound journey by following us on Facebook, Instagram, or at www.selfunbound.com. Now, my conversation with Rolf will be right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, I'm very excited to have him on the show, Mr. Rolf Nolasco Jr. Rolf, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you, Joe, for having me tonight. I am excited. We're going to talk about your book, Hearts Ablaze, Parables for the Queer Soul. And it's so interesting to me how many intersections there are for me as a personal individual. Um, And then I think that there are for a number of people who are listening or picking up this book for the first time and really see themselves reflected back in the book and Mm -hmm. a lot of the scriptures that um, that perhaps they had grown up hearing interpreted in one type of way that is now being given a lot of additional context that has been absent before, a different perspective. And we'll get into that. I'm excited. Um, and we'll also sort of lay the foundation for people who haven't read the show notes, haven't listened to the intro, just like skipped ahead to this part of the podcast. We'll do all that for uh, those mm-hmm. folks. Um, 
But before we get there, uh, for those that are new to the podcast, here at the Detox Podcast, I invite people to quote unquote detox from the world around them, get a window into how other people live their lives. And uh, I invite them to just relax and take in the information for the length of the podcast and take it as an opportunity to grow. But I do like to ask my guests at the top of the episode one question to help us sort of level set. Uh, the upcoming conversation. That is, Rolf, what are you currently detoxing from? Detoxing from the chaos that surrounds us all. It has been quite a difficult three years Mm -hmm. for all of us, for many of us, for most of us, for communities of color, particularly who have been impacted quite severely by the pandemic. And so I'm trying to uh, detox from the noise, from um, just this onslaught of suffering um, that is around us. Um, And I'm teaching uh, a course called Contemplative Spirituality at Garrett Seminary. And and so it works that I get to teach, but also use that practice as a way to ground myself again and not be buoyed by everything that is really impacting us so heavily at this time. Yeah. That is very eloquently put. There has been so many, especially here in the United States, during the course of of COVID over the last three years, as you mentioned, there's been an increase of of attacks and and hate crimes on the AAPI community. And it hadn't been talked about a lot. Um, it is. It has started to shift a bit, where um, it's now being recognized and discussed, and there are organizations and institutions that are uh, partnering with a lot of organizations to not only increase awareness, but to do something about it. Make sure that there's safety and that there's um, people that are being educated on. Um, how to assist and help if they are observing something occurring. Um, it's still not enough, but I think it's it's a start, um, and it's getting people who may have previously felt like, I don't know what to do to help, getting them empowered to help when they see uh, see a situation happening. Um, I think from, from my perspective, I've been detoxing a lot from the the feeling of sort of needing to give everything equal energy in my life. I think there is, um, I've always probably encountered situations where I felt like I have, you know, day-to-day work. I've got family, I've got, um, creative projects I'm working on and everything in between. And I am equally interested in all of them. Um, but we're only, we only have so many hours in the day and only so much energy to give. And what I've always struggled with is the ebb and flow of how to sort of allocate my time, energy, and efforts. And then feeling when I reflect back on perhaps what got the lowest amount of me, right? I'm using air quotes here in that particular period of time, feeling like I've let whatever, whether that's work, family, creative projects, let it down, right? And feeling a bit like a failure instead of I'm now starting to revisit these scenarios that I've felt this way in before and revisit him more in a case of, you know, it's all about the progress. And sometimes progress looks like just a, a baby step forward. And sometimes progress is driving 10 miles down the road and, and everything in between. And so sort of 
I'm trying to detox from old expectations while creating new approaches to so many familiar situations. And that is easier some days than others. I think today was a bit of a, of a harder day. Um, speaking of when we're recording this, uh, but the last couple days had been much easier. So that's, that's sort of where I'm at in this current period of time. I guess the ebb and flow is really is a challenge to mm. to have. Just living in tension in itself is um, an arduous task emotionally. Um, a a well balanced life is actually a myth. I think um, it's uh, it's I think an offshoot of capitalism. Um, you know, communities of color um, don't have the luxury to have a well balanced life. Yeah. Because mostly, and and you know, we're talking about queer folks as well, belonging to marginalized communities, we're primed to react, uh, and the only weapon that we have is to survive. Mm. And so, this whole well-balanced life doesn't really address the inequities that we experience. And and I guess people who are privileged. Yeah. you know, have the ability to to go after that, but not many people can because of the situation that we're in right now. Yeah, I think that's well put. It is from a perspective of of privilege to be able to state to have the the well balanced life or the work life balance as well mm. as another way to put it. I I saw. I saw a meme the other day, or and it was not. The, I say the other day as if it was truly the other day, when in reality it was probably years ago. But it <laughs> feels like it just happened. But it was a meme that said it was like as a reminder, um, the expectation of working eight hours a day and also having dinner on the table and also having time to do laundry and take care of the kids and or, and or extended family or whatever was designed because the expectation was that you always had a partner of some kind at home mm -hmm. doing all of that for you. Women. Yeah, Women. right. That was the way it was It was previously done. Mm -hmm. um, and those were the old expectations. And so when people are feeling like, I don't have balance or I'm approaching burnout because I'm trying to do it, it's because you are not, much like we'll talk about in the book, you're looking at a situation out of context and thinking mm. that you can apply current, current time, current trends to a situation in which there's no, there's no real correlation to availability of resources. There is a major shift, isn't it, happening? Yep. You know, I mean, psychologically, interpersonally, societally as well. And I think COVID-19 has made that even more pronounced. Yep. And we're all, almost like at a loss as to how to deal with this new norm, with this new reality that really has no template. Yep. Right? And so we're, we're being asked to be creative, to really work together hand in hand, while at the same time addressing quite openly the inequity that is all around us. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think it's a good opportunity to, to talk about your book, Hearts Ablaze, Parables for the Queer Soul. And I got to say, I have a new phrase in my lexicon. Um, let me find it. I don't want to miss it. It is um, the queerables of Jesus. The, que yeah, the queerables of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That came out of nowhere. I mean, I, I must tell you, when I wrote this book, and I wrote this during the pandemic yeah. um, a year ago, um, 
you know, I, I, I was raised evangelical mm -hmm. and there are certain aspects of evangelicalism that is uh, that are utterly problematic. Yeah. There are aspects of it that are life-giving for me, one of which is just the sensitivity to the movement of the spirit. And there have been times when I would wake up not knowing where to go about a particular parable. And then voila, an inspiration would just kind of flow and 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 a part of that would be this the queerables of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, it's it's a wonderful way. One of one of the things that I love, and I'm gonna ask you about sort of um, your your first sort of um, idea for this book and kind of mm -hmm. some of the genesis, no pun mm -hmm. intended, to create <laughs> to create to create this book. Um, one thing that made that makes my heart extremely happy is the reclamation of a understanding, in this case, a specific religious understanding of a historical text, the Bible, the parables, story of Jesus, uh, story of so many other people as well, um, and sort of bringing it back in and say into, in this case, the queer umbrella, but saying, yes, th these stories are for us too. This perspective, this religion, this faith is for us too. And we are not going to allow those who have been the loudest to mm -hmm. define what should be the most authentic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it having grown up in, in an extremely conservative evangelical household and having gone to school for theology um, at a conservative Christian school and understanding how that can get regularly interpreted um, in a harmful way. Mm. It, it has made me a, quite bitter and sour in a lot of situations um, to now be brought back to it. And so it's a wonderful, um, the theme of this, the, the theme of the year for this season of detox is reconnection and reconnection mm -hmm. can mean so many things. And I'm mm -hmm. choosing to interpret it as revisiting a prior situation, experience or relationship, but with a new set of understanding. And so for me, this was a reconnection moment to read these parables with this new lens and perspective that I've never been given. Some of the context I'd heard before, but but the actual stories and perspectives fresh, and it made me um, very proud in a in a, in in such a way that I don't even know that proud is is as heavy of a word as I could give it. But um, I want to thank you first of all for making this book. Um, mm. and allowing those of us in the community and those that are not a member of the community to have that moment of peace and clarity and perspective. Thank you. It's very humbling to hear you um, say that you have been in some ways impacted by this little book. In a way, it's actually, um, it's my way of detoxifying from hetero heteronormative readings of the Bible, particularly of the parables. It, it's not an apology. It's not apologetic, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Um, it's really it's really about reclaiming um, sources um, that we can draw from as queer folks because the Bible has been used, has been weaponized 
to harm us, to traumatize us. And I approach it as that's been true, but we can also have a different relationship to the word by being uh, the author doing the interpretation of these parables. And I come from that place of, I think, um, not I think, I, I come from a place of, of um, um, pride, but also of the sense of being God's beloved. And therefore, I come at it from a place of abundance and not scarcity. I come um, at it from a place of faith and not fear. Yeah. Um, communion as opposed to isolation. And it's just been a gift um, to be a part of this process yeah. from the very beginning to now being read by folks like you. It's been a humbling experience, to say the least. It's so, it's so beautiful when you're talking about both your experience writing and then the ability to almost offer it up to be used um to be utilized by other people such as myself and and other people who read it to be able to identify and see themselves in it um i do want to talk about so you mentioned that you wrote this during the pandemic um mm -hmm. and then last year so walk me through sort of um this isn't the first book that you've written you've written a, a couple others before right so walk me through sort of how you came to this particular book um, and then why last year sort of everything came together for you. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote uh, God's Beloved Career. It's almost like a manifesto. <laughs> um, and then, and it was more uh, a personal reflection on queer issues, but drawing from, you know, the disciplines of, of liberation theology, contemplative spirituality, neuroscience and psychology. But this one is deeply personal because as I had mentioned, I grew up in an in evangelical church in the Philippines, and uh, and having been colonized um, in various ways, they have a particular messaging uh, that um, has been repeated again and again and again about uh, folks like us. Yeah. And so I wanted to turn the tables around and and really make use of the same resource same text but queer it in a way that in some ways uh question uh normative readings about the parables and so uh, when i wrote it over the pandemic over 10 weeks and and that was because my editor was just kind of breathing down on my shoulder <laughs> and that was really quite um quite uh pressure ridden yeah. but uh but i was able to make it not because i was good at it it was just it, there was just moments of, you know, uh, almost like a, a torrent of ideas and inspiration yeah. that I couldn't help but write them down. Yeah, um, I know it sounds it sounds quite um, esoteric sometimes, <laughs> but that's how I've experienced writing, not just this book, but the other three books. It's yeah. always been, I've lived this reality, and so I, I come at it from from my own lived experience. Um, but the way it came to life, um, it was a combination of just people upholding me in their prayer experiences of other queer folks being brave in those spaces, of different readings uh, that I've heard. James Allison has been a constant companion for me and just people that I've interviewed uh, that became part of the book right. uh, has been a source of inspiration. So really it took uh, a village 
for me to actually produce something like this. And I'm just so honored to have been given the opportunity to produce something material like this one. Yeah. You know, I love that you brought up the fact that it took a village because one of the things that is incredible is you've got the the reading of the parable, you've got some additional context, you've got a different perspective, a queer perspective, if you will, on how to view uh, the parable, as you said, in an, in an attempt to provide a different perspective than the tr- the heteronormative perspective that's been given over and over and over again for so many years. And then you also have the personal stories of, I believe all of them or most of them are members of UMC, uh, United Methodist mm-hmm. Church. Clergy. All of them, yeah. Right, right. All of them. Yeah. And that is powerful in, in and of itself because of the the back in was it 2019 when the umc had oh voted, yeah oh yeah had, and i was there in st louis Missouri. right exactly 2019, to to ban queer clergy if mm-hmm. I recall correctly and so um by having queer clergy from the umc be able to speak about their perspective in this book really ties everything together and it shows how I, I was reflecting on this earlier today. It shows how when you have a parable and you provide the real life context and then you provide a, a perspective and a view that is contrary to what has been given, but that so many people identify with and see themselves in. And then you provide a story of a person who uh, most, maybe not most, but like, definitely identifies with that viewing of of it because they themselves are queer it brings everything home in such a profound personal mm-hmm. way that i think um you could have sort of pieces of of each of those the parable and the context and the story and that would be powerful but bringing it together is what really brings the points home that yes our hearts are ablaze um and we are able to uh, not just see ourselves, but rise up and reclaim this for ourselves and then be able to, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm, my Bible verses are slipping out of my mind at this point. It's been a bit. I'm a little rusty. But to go <laughs> out, right, make disciples and, and to. Matthew 28. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and then be able to spread this good news and and to be a community that that is needed. Um, mm. And has been lacking. So I, I think it's, it's fantastic. I want to know what was your. So you talked about the parables, um, uh, uh, you writing this book in ten weeks, and the parables coming to you. Um, do you have any specific memories of the? Like I definitely want to cover these two parables, or these, or did you kind of sketch it out, or did they come to you as you went, and you kind of continue to refine them? When I uh, wrote the proposal, I already had in mind uh, those 10 parables because the parables that I grew up um, listening to or or hearing about um, in my years of formation. Um, But the content of it, how I was able then to bring those things together, uh, that came out um, as I was writing it. Okay. Um, and I think that's one thing about queer folks, but also about uh, the writing process. 
um, I was prepared to be surprised. It wasn't as if, you know, I approached my computer and then I had all these ideas in mind that I wanted to, uh, to translate into uh, a page. The writing itself was so organic because I didn't really know where to go next sometimes, but I had some idea about the core theme for each chapter, but everything else kind of just happened. Yeah. And, um, and and one thing about queer folks, so you probably know this, because of our own sense of, our, you know, the, the fragmentation that the world has been really good at in inducing, we've learned to integrate, to bring pieces together. Because I think the world, the hetero uh, patriarchal world, is so afraid of us, they want all of us divided and broken into pieces. And somehow, because of just human resilience, grace of God, community, we somehow have always managed to piece things together in some beautiful um, tapestry way. And, and I think, thank you for saying that, because I think that was what was happening when I was writing. And, yeah. and you know, in, in, even in my role as a professor at Garrett Seminary, I even though my 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 portfolio is teaching pastoral theology, I do spiritual formation, I do counseling psychology, I do critical psychology. I mean, it's just the human experience that I'm trying to kind of make sense of. And I can only make sense even of my own queer lived experience if I bring together all the resources that are my that are my that are at my disposal. Yeah. That's the only way for me to do this. Yeah. It's uh <laughs> You know, you're talking about bringing together this beautiful tapestry. And I'm like, what you're describing, I instantly got this image of sort of this beautiful stained glass window, right? Mm. And how that feels to me in so many ways. One, it's bright and colorful. So it reminds mm. me of the pride flag and or mm. uh, the cover of the book, which you have mm. all of the, the colors of the rainbow on there. Um, and then it also makes me think about how how painstaking the process of creating stained glass is, especially something so ornate that you often yeah. see displayed in a church. Um, and so the work to bring all of these different pieces together um, to create something wonderful and beautiful that can be admired by all, um, it, that's the image that I got of when you were talking, talking about bringing all these different pieces. And I think you're right. I think it is something that we as a community, as a queer community, are used to having to do because we're not historically we've not historically seen ourselves represented in a lot of different avenues and then i there is something ooh, i'm the dust is falling <laughs> the dust is falling off my theology degree i feel like if i don't use it every so often um you lose it but i i get theology I, away right? <laughs> i get so frustrated is the nicest word i can use um when people talk about what Jesus wanted, the world he was trying to build, the lessons he was teaching, and they use it in an attempt to bring down queer people, to bring down underrepresented communities, to create a non-equitable world. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what Bible you read, but even when I was in a conservative school, the questions I was asking were, why do we not why are we not trying to create this type of society now because it feels like if we're following a teacher who's laying it all out 
Why are we not? Why are we stuck in this capitalistic, heteronormative, patriarchal society? And the answer is control and power. To me, that is that is the perspective. And I, I'm just like I don't. I would love to know sort of your perspective on because you're a, a, t- a professor at seminary and you you know uh, these teachings so well, and you're teaching various different studies. How do you approach um, a lot of these lessons when people? maybe do come into your class with this type of background, this sort of one one mindset, one way of interpreting the lessons and the teachings? Um wow. Um I, I think I think one of the many reasons why um people tend to focus and legislate and insist on one interpretation is so that they can manipulate and control and exert power over it. Yeah. Because they wouldn't know what to do with the, you know, I mean, the last chapter of the book, uh, chapter chapter 10, talks about the queer Christ yeah. versus the sanitized white Christ, where the queer Christ stabilizes, destabilizes anything that has coherence, um, structure, um, and, and, and is considered normative, right? I mean, the queer Christ challenges all that. Yeah. Um, and so the only way for the white Christ to take over is to pronounce that there is only one way of interpreting it because any deviation from it, people can actually um, be held morally wrong, um, even heretic when they do that. And so, so it really is about power and control. And 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 if we are to stand on a foundation, a sure foundation, that sure foundation is the queer prize. Mm-hmm. I think, and uh, and the queer prize is always about challenging, interrogating human ways of um, doing life. Yeah. And and mostly that that way of doing life is death dealing as opposed to to um, enhancing the flourishing of all people, including themselves. Yeah. But they wouldn't know what to do with that. No. And and that's where <laughs> just I'm like you the the people that were mad at Jesus were the leaders who are the leaders in a lot of ways today. And I'm just like the 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 sheer irony uh, is not lost on me, and it seems to be lost on quite a number of folks. And and I I who I have I could probably go on for about another four hours with some some of these things, but I I will spare us in this instance. But I think I le- I agree with you the 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 embracing of the queer Christ allows us to start understanding these lessons and these teachings in a new light and a new perspective and almost ask the question, what if, what would happen were we to embrace these teachings and live out this life and start building out this community? What type of radical transformation would we create? It would be a radical transformation because it would be counter to um, what has historically been laid out. You know, we were talking about that meme about not having, you know, the, 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 delineation the the division of labor um and so um where uh, previously the the heteronormative white patriarchal society established mm-hmm. that the the white man would go to work or the man mm-hmm. would go to work work eight hours and he would have a wife that would be at home cooking cleaning taking care of the kids all that stuff and so um having that type of mindset that society 
uh, creating a uh, religious structure where there is white men in power most of the time, um, but created where there's limits as to how mm -hmm. high uh, women and um, in some cases, um, uh, people of color and then also um, uh, depending on the church, queer folks can rise in leadership within the institution. And so, but then also preaching um, this sort of new radical way of being. And I think they're preaching it in the, in the sense, thinking that the radical, the radical transformation, I feel like they're not understanding in, in my opinion, I feel like when, when the scriptures are being taught, they're not being discussed with radical transformation as to, um, creating a new society that hasn't really existed in this way before. Instead, they're viewing it. The radical transformation is more of the ability to um, sort of worship wherever you are. So like sort of the freedom of religion. I feel like that's, that's, that's where I was going. It was kind of a long roundabout way. I was working through a thought there, but that's where I feel like, it would be a bit of a shock uh, coming back around mm. to the point that you said mm. that people wouldn't be prepared for that radical transformation because I think they're using the term radical transformation to determine we have come to a country um, using air quotes there. I realize that you're the only one that could see that um, coming over to a country to be able to uh, freely worship in any way, freedom of religion. And that is the radical transformation because before you couldn't do that. Um, when in reality, that may be a small component, but it's really about creating this larger society. And so bringing it back around to you, I want to know um, from you, when you are talking to other religious in individuals, maybe other leaders that you encounter or other educators, how, how do I want to word this? How do you continue to ask questions, sort of have a friendly discussion, maybe a debate, and work towards that sort of new way of being and that new community. And, and I'm still growing in this area, um, but and, and this area that I'm talking about is grace. Um, and I need a dose of it because, um, because I know that the beliefs that we now carry, and I've been carrying this white version of God for the longest time. Yeah. Um, and, and and I've been carrying it because I've been exposed to it incessantly. And so I know, and this is, I believe, where grace operates is for me, as a queer person who believes in radical inclusion, equity, and social justice, I need also to recognize and have grace for people who are having difficulty having me as part of their lives or even talk to me because I know that they entered into this world with this preset understanding about what reality is. Yeah. We all came into this world with um, heterosexuality as the norm. Right. You know, regardless of where you go, that's been the norm and so it's almost like a pre-package and 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 i've learned it i've heard of it from the pulpit i see places where couples opposite couples are the only legitimate ways of expressing one's desires it's everywhere yeah. um, but 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 people people 
we all somehow have been shaped by these forces. And so in a way, I need to, to, to be understanding of that. Um, and, and really, in some ways, um, acknowledge that they too have been drilled and trained and, and indoctrinated about those things. Um, almost like uh, find some commonality at first, but hopefully, hopefully, and this is what I what I have um, experienced during my interviews. When I started talking to those queer folks, they become so utterly honest and vulnerable and human. Somebody said, "This is the first time that I get to tell my story," and I think that is the crux here. Yeah. I think people talk about issues, not necessarily about people who are struggling and coming to terms with these issues. And so I think part of, of the grace that I would like to be able to show those who don't accept us, don't want to listen to us, don't want to engage that, is to put our faces, our stories first before talking about those issues, because those issues are real um experiences that we have yeah. and sometimes we would rather talk about issues as opposed to engaging the person yeah carrying this yeah all their life and so yeah. and so that 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 helps kind of helps me in, in 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 spaces where my existence my presence is being challenged but i've also chosen to not spend my life um apologizing for my existence or defending my presence right because i find that to be quite draining and and just life negating and so i choose where to um, engage myself in when it comes to these issues and really spending most time most of my waking life just helping queer folks uh get a dose of of their their awesomeness, uh, helping them reclaim their status as God's beloved and really affirming them and finding ways to celebrate each other. Because the 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 the, the other spaces that I've been can be tiring and re-traumatizing for me. Yeah. So I'm also quite judicious as to where to spend my time in. I think that's well said and that's well observed too. I think it's it's important to have the conversations and to not only be having the conversations um, in the spaces that can be uh, more difficult um, and re-triggering. And it's so key. I love how you said putting the stories first because mm -hmm. that that is fundamentally what I've realized has opened so many doors to larger mm -hmm. conversations has been the ability to put someone's story first. You share a story. People can debate political issues. They can debate interpretations of, of a text in a lot of ways. Can't debate someone's story. That's their story. You might not like the story, but you can't debate the story. It's that story. And so humanizing the, the issue and providing a name and a face and an experience to go with it. Now I'm not um, thinking about this issue with broad strokes. I'm thinking about Joe standing in front of me or Rolf standing in front of me. 
talking to me and engaging with me as the person. And I've heard their stories and I know where they're coming from. And now we still may not agree on, on some of these topics, but I've noticed that when I engage with folks sort of after the story aspect, it's a little bit of a softer dialogue, a little bit of a more um, grace-filled discussion, mm-hmm. right? And, and a seeking to understand, not seeking to talk. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, and that is St. Francis' prayer, isn't it? Um, not wanting to be understood, but to understand. And I think there is something about human-to-human encounter what has also helped me is just seeing the divine in the other, mm. um, especially especially uh, individuals who really are quite um, adamant in ensuring that their theology, their community is free from um, our theologies and our presence. Um, but but what has helped me is to just recognize the divine in the other and 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 that somehow because of our upbringing because of our personalities because of the societies we live in it's really hard sometimes to acknowledge the divinity in each other um, and so there is so much work to be had and. Um, and, and, and I think we're folks, um, and, and, and I'm making a bold statement here, because of our experience, because of our creativity, because of our perseverance, resilience, even our woundedness and brokenness, are in a position where we can actually show what it means to love one another. Yes. And to love our enemies because we have been on the receiving side of it. Yes. Um, that might be a controversial call, but I think there is something about our queerness that is so divine that God somehow is um, um, almost like fashioning us to 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 really take an active part in cre- in creating a new way of being with one another. Yes. I, well said. Um, I have, I would say, I can't even believe how long we've been talking because this conversation, I feel like we could continue to go on and on. Um, I want to start to bring us to, to a close. Um, sure. But I do, I do have um, a, a few more questions. One is, is a bit standard. And I would say out of from, from regards to the book. So we've got the book links in the show notes, Hearts Ablaze, A Parable for the Queer Soul. If this conversation hasn't convinced you, you need to pick up this book. I don't I don't really know <laughs> what else I can do. Um, Thank you. Yes, of course. Um, on the show notes, there's a, there'll be a link to purchase it. So definitely do that. Leave a five-star review after you've done it. I think that'll be fantastic. Um, as you are, as you were, um, or I would say this, as you're reflecting on the book after its release, was there one particular part of it or parable, either parable as a whole or one maybe specific part of the book that continues to resonate with you even after it's been released and it's been quite a bit of distance from having written it? It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think I started with that parable, particularly because I've seen myself in all three. Mm. You know, I was I was the Levite, I was the priest, I was the wounded man, and now I'm being called to be the Good Samaritan. Um, 
because I could be anyone at any given moment. And my prayers would be that this queer good Samaritan um, would stand ready to uh, not just heal the wounded person, because I know what's like to be in that state of mind, but also to be good Samaritan towards the Levite and the priest. Yeah. Now this idea just came. That that this last bit wasn't wasn't part of this chapter, and 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 this is what I what I meant when I said sometimes things just just kind of roll over my tongue. <laughs> uh, but 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 I want. I think the greatest challenge would be for me is how to be a, a queer good Samaritan to people who've ignored um, and chosen to leave queer folks behind. Um, but I think that is continuing con that that is continuously God's call yeah. for my life is to be queer good Samaritan for everyone. I like it. The last question I want to ask before we move into the final segment of the show. Um, I'm going to kind of merge, I had a couple questions, so I'm going to try and merge it into one here. And it's, um, for people who may be wrestling with staying a member of this particular religious community while being a member of the LGBTQ plus community and not only trying to stay within it, but perhaps trying and continue to have the sort of progress conversations with others um, who maybe are a little bit further behind on their journey. Um, what advice or perspective uh, would you like to give to them uh, as they're continuing um, this journey? Find your people. <laughs> Find um, other queer folks who can accompany you, who will not judge you as you grapple with being queer and still be connected to your church. Um, we all have different thresholds for pain. Uh, we all have different levels of trauma and harm that we carry in our bodies. Listen to what your body is telling you. Listen to what your heart is telling you. Listen to what your mind is telling you. Listen to what um, other folks are telling you um, because it's okay to Give yourself permission to acknowledge and and to become aware of your own need for self care, um, and and that 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 is really um, talking about loving oneself, uh, loving neighbors as as we love ourselves, and, and sometimes we focus too much on pleasing other people um, to to. To, to the neglect and to the peril of our own. And so um, find your people, find us or everywhere. And then secondly, it's okay to now pursue your own healing journey, hopefully mm. not in isolation, but with other folks as well. I love that. Thank you so much for those words. It was... I think it will mean so much to so many people. I know it means so much to me. Um, I want to, now we're going to, I'm going to take us into our final segment of the show. It's a segment I like to call things to check out. Uh, it's a segment where I provide a couple of recommendations, something to read, watch, and or listen to. And I invite my guests to do the same. Uh, so I will go first. And obviously this is um, 
separate from the book they were talking about today. So as I mentioned before, this is your reminder, go purchase Hearts Ablaze, Parables for the Queer Soul, link in the show notes, please do that right away. Um, a book I want to recommend, now, so this is a little bit interesting. I had my recommendation, so I'll provide that, but I'm also going to provide a couple others real quick. Um, so if you're listening, so I will say this, all of my recommendations pair well with the conversation that we had today and Rolf's book. Um, so a, a, another book I recommend you checking out is In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture, uh, featuring former guest Shannon T. L. Kearns. I think it's a fantastic book, and it's a fa- it's another um, viewpoint on sort of these um, classic uh, religious stories that you've probably heard a million times, Jacob Wrestling with an Angel, Joseph and the Coat of Many Colors, Jacob and Esau, um, and providing a queer lens uh, to the stories. And then also Shannon shares um, a, a lot of his personal anecdotes and his story in, in in the chapters as well. Um, a couple other uh, books. This also feeds into the podcast recommendations as well. So Shannon's uh, episode, you can definitely go listen to that. We talk about that. Um, but when we were talking at the beginning of the episode about um, a- the AAPI community and a lot of the, the hurt and the hate that has accompanied that community, especially here in the United States over the last couple of years, um, I had the opportunity to talk to a couple of authors and, and we touched on some of those themes in the book. So Corey Watari and Mike Wu, uh, that couple, they mm-hmm. wrote the book, I Am Able to Shine. Um, and uh, we got into uh, the discussion um, about uh, about their, about the book, um, being able to have representation in media and then also their own perspective um, uh, both uh, Corey being uh, from the Japanese American community and, and Mike being Chinese American and, and then bringing their own perspectives uh, into raising a child here. And then also during COVID times. Um, and then the other book that, or the other book slash podcast I recommend is um, uh, another episode that we did on the show, uh, Shapes, Lines and Light, where I talked to Katie Yamasaki, where she wrote an illustrated book, Shapes, Lines and Lights, uh, about her uh, granddad, who uh, Minoru Yamasaki, who uh, is probably most famous for designing the Twin Towers uh, way back when as an architect. So those are a couple of recommendations. Um, from a uh, spiritual perspective, a podcast I recommend is Learning How to See with Brian McLaren. So Brian is a dear personal friend. He's been on the podcast a few times. Um, and he has conversations with other um, theologians and practitioners on that show where they examine different themes over um, a series of episodes per season. So recommend that. And then uh, the last one uh, from a show perspective, if, if folks haven't checked out this comedy, uh, The Good Place, starring Kristen Bell, William Jackson Harper, and Jamila Jamil, uh, you definitely should do that. Uh, Michael Schur uh, created the show, Michael Schur of The Office and, and Parks and Rec. And it is a show... Uh, discussing themes of religion and spirituality and philosophy. And uh, it's quite good. It's probably one of my favorite shows uh, of all time. And I highly recommend you check it out. So, uh, Rolf, what is something to either read, watch, and or listen to for for folks? Well, I think I'm going to check out that uh, TV show because uh, Netflix has been my uh, my therapist <laughs> <laughs> throughout this journey. So I'm going to check that out. I watch a lot of K-dramas because uh because they're just well done but in terms of uh resources um um 
more around spirituality, and, and, and this comes to mind because I'm teaching this course at Garrett. Uh, Far, Father Martin Laird's Into the Silent Land is quite powerful. It talks about the role of uh, contemplation in um, our social activism, in our relationship to God. Um, I know of Brian McLaren because I know he's part of contemplation and action, and I'm you know, we're using the text, uh, Richard Rohr's Everything Belongs, so that's been really good. But I think um, one book that I would recommend your listeners to to uh, check out is is um, Cole Arthur Riley's This Hair Flash. It's an amazing book. Uh, just really so, you, you can find resonance in, in what she's writing. And, uh, and I love the way she uses images and in words um, and the 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 theology um, that that she gives out without being explicit about it is actually is the most powerful aspect of this book. This here flash it talks about embodiment and how important that is in in our spiritual formation, liberation, and deliberation of all. I love it. All right. Well, Rolf, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not very active on social media, uh, but I so I'm professor at uh, Garrett uh, Evangelical Theological Seminary. Um, I do have a faculty webpage there. Uh, I'm at Ralph Ralph that Nolasco at Garrett Edu. If you search me on uh, Facebook, I'm there. Um, but I think Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary is the place to be uh, if they want to know more about what I do, what I teach, and, and everything else. But thank you, Joe, for just the opportunity to converse with you about um, my story, the book, um, and just creating a space for people like me to share a little bit about uh, the movement of the spirit um, in this little corner of the world. So. I appreciate you and, and I bless you with just grace and courage and peace and resilience and creativity as you continue to live into your own calling. Thank you so much. I That means a lot and I appreciate it so incredibly much. Um, Rolf, thank you so, I said so much, but thank you again for coming on the show and blessing us with your presence and your perspective. Um, so listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, Thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.